This is our sixth week. We've been going through a series simply called Truth Stories. And, that, and we've been looking at some of, not remotely all, of the parables of Jesus. Because Jesus told these stories, first and foremost, to convey truth. You and I are here on earth dealing with each other. And there are incredible heaven realm truths that will change our lives. And you and I can kind of get stuck in our own little cycles and our own little things. And, and, and we miss stuff. And so Jesus used story all the time to help get us on page with him. And he would say, the kingdom of God is like this. So if you can kind of understand this concept, this can help you transition and roll into this concept. So if you've got your, your, your notes open, you've got your paper notes we gave you, or your version app, you should be able to just click along and follow right along. It says that we've been invited to be transformed by the truth of God's love for us. God loves us. And he loves us in a wider and deeper way than honestly we can understand. As soon as I say God loves you, everybody's going to interpret that different. Some of you have experienced God's redemptive love in such a way that I say that and tears begin to puddle in your eyes. You immediately understand on a place of, of that God just met you in an ugly, ugly moment and has brought you forward. Other of you are learning this and you're like, oh, I'm having a hard time with this. And some of you may not even be Christ followers, may not even believers, and you're on the outside of this. And you're like, I, I'm having a hard time believing there's a God, period. And if he's out there, I'm, I'm not sure about this whole love thing. And then I say a simple statement like God loves you and we're, we're taken in through all these kinds of filters. And God wants us to, our, our walk with God is we start in recognizing that he loved us enough to send us his son. And then we grow and mature as we recognize that that love did not remotely stop there. It didn't remotely stop at having a step over from death to life. Praise God. We all begin in that moment when we place our faith in Christ that we're heaven ready right then. That we are ready to face him in that moment, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. But it goes further. There's more that he wants to do in our lives, and we grow in this understanding. And so this is where the transforming power of the scriptures come into our lives. And one of the way these truths are revealed are through these stories that Jesus shared. And John chapter 8, we've looked at this passage every week, and, and this kind of helps sets our mindset up, that we understand that truth unlocks freedom. So what we ought to be anticipating as we get into a new truth is, where does that turn me loose? Where does that set me free? Where does that keep me where I've been trapped and tight and messed up and, and confined? Where do I step into new freedom? Because in verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And again, I want to say this, because sometimes we can make it this big legalistic squeeze thing that you got to do all this little stuff and march just right and smile just right. That's not what this is talking about. This is about embracing his teaching, holding it, calling it your own, allowing it to have the front place in your life. If you'll hold and embrace and, and call it your own, his, his teachings, then we're really his disciples. Then we allow those teachings to transform us. It says, and then you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
It's not simply the truth that sets you free. It's the truth that you dare to allow to challenge your false beliefs. And that you now know that truth and the truth brings freedom there. Just truth by itself doesn't set you free. It's then you know the truth. It gets revealed and that revelation, boom, brings freedom. So as we step into all these stories, there should be this little anticipation. God, I want to know the truth. I want to see this. Help me to understand this. And I want to, before we get into today's parable, if you've been in the scriptures for any length of time, maybe you were raised in church, maybe not. But if you've been in the scriptures for any length of time, if you've read through the Bible, the the New Testament at all, you're familiar with this parable. And so I want to, right off from the bat, I want to go ahead and set some framework from this because initially, if you don't walk with me all the way, you're going to think that I'm majoring on a nuance, okay? And that I'm, th- I'm making a big deal about a nuance, but I'm, I promise you, I promise you as we get into this parable, I am not making a big deal about a nuance. But it can kind of look like you stand in there and you go into Mount Rushmore with somebody, okay? And you go in and you look and you stand there at Mount Rushmore and you look at Mount Rushmore and the person next to you says, that's made of rock. And you're like... Duh. That's what you've got to say. You're standing in front of Mount Rushmore and you say, that's a rock. You you might think that that's what I'm doing today. I'm not. Or maybe going to Niagara Falls. Looking at Niagara Falls and the person next to you says, you know what? That is two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. Seriously? You're looking at the majesty of Niagara Falls and that's what you bring to the table is H2O. What these little molecules are about. You, you, we, all of this. And so many times we can skip over some of this stuff and, and that seems dumb to us because we have regular knowledge of rocks in water. Praise God, most of us cannot remember our first bath. I hope you can't remember your first bath. We've been around water. We've been in contact with it. We've, we've consumed it. We have intimate knowledge of water. We, we sit there and we pour it in our hands and we play on it and we swim on it. And then we look at Niagara. And all of a sudden we don't see water simply as this little stuff we can play with. We see the power and the rawness. All of a sudden, we begin to see this, these faces coming out of this rock. And we're like, my goodness, somebody carved these faces. And they, they look right. How did somebody do that? Somebody can stand up in this guy's nostril. And somebody's able to step back and see this, this picture. This, this is made out of a mountain. And so what we're going to do is we're now going to look at this amazing parable. And we're going to look at the rock and the H2O because I think it's going to unlock a deeper understanding of this parable. Here on the surface, this is the first thing. This is the obvious thing. This is the first thing we see that this is the big picture about what this is about and i don't want us to miss the big picture so we're going to just deal with it right off the bat 
And the truth of this parable we're about to look at is that we're all entrusted with something valuable to make a difference in this world. All of us. All of us have been entrusted with something valuable. Your giftings, your connections, just your, 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 your very breath in your lungs, you've been given away to be able to, to bring the kingdom of God forward on some level, to enjoy your creator in a unique way that nobody else can, to have a relationship with God nobody else can. That's why you're unique. That's why you're different. You are incredibly special and incredibly gifted. And we look at Matthew 25. The parable begins there in verse 14. It says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold and to another, two bags and to another, one bag, each according to his own ability. It wasn't a slight. It wasn't a slam. He didn't dole it out all evenly. With this God is this God of fairness. Shouldn't they all get the same? No, he looks and he responds to each of us on an individual basis. Isn't it awesome that for the fullness of your life, you're not held to the scale of anybody else? You're not. You're held to you. God created you with an individual assignment and an individual calling, an individual gifting, and he's not measuring you up to anybody else. I don't care if somebody else is. I don't care that you avoid calling your mom and your dad because you don't want to hear what your siblings are doing and how you measure up to them. Or your grandma because your cousin is doing this or that. Or you hate stepping into the meeting with the boss because there's the star employee and you're not them. And you feel like you're being measured against somebody all the time. God is not measuring you against anybody else. He's not. He knows you. And he's giving you opportunity. And the opportunity is amazing. And you can't step on the outside and say, well, that person's opportunity is more amazing than my amazing opportunity. You can't do that. We're going to miss everything the bible actually drills down here and gives us gives us the the actual weight of this gold and if you're reading a different translation than the one i used in iv it refers to it as a talent a, a talent he gave them each a talent of gold and so many times that that we, we can get lost in that because we understand talents is like you know gymnastics and you know cool stuff you know being able to to stand on a stage and See if America's got talent. And, and that's not it. It's, it was just simple money. And it was referred to a talent. And the talent was 75 pounds. Okay? So we put that in today's gold, which gold was actually more valuable in its society than gold is in ours. Most of us don't have any gold running around our homes other than the stuff we hang around our necks and stick on our fingers. Okay? Because we just don't need it. It's just extra. It's pretties. We operate without it, but it was integral to this society, and it's even more. But we're just going to stick it into our day and age, okay? So we have 75 pounds of gold, 16 ounces in a pound at around $1,300 a pound. A talent of gold, 75 pounds of gold is $1.5 million, okay? That one of these was 1.5 mil, okay? 
today at $50,000 a year, that's a $50,000 a year career, a 30-year career. An entire lifetime of adult earnings for the average American. This is an enormous, enormous responsibility. And that's the one talent. We're not talking about the seven and a half million dollars of the five talent guy or the three million dollars of the two talent guy. We're we're drilling it back down to the 1.5 million of the one talent guys. We've got to get this in perspective that nobody's just sitting there is something to scoff on. You're like, well, I feel like a one talent guy. Well, God, that, well, okay, good. Understand you're living in a million dollar opportunity every day. You are. You're living in a million dollar opportunity every day. Every day. And our attitude, our attitude towards it can change everything. And, and instead of looking at the big, I want to look and we're going to talk real quick about, about a lady named Martha Berry and her attitude towards a small opportunity. See, Martha Berry in 1902, she saw there in rural Georgia that there was not a good educational system. And those that didn't grow up in a household with enough money to pay to send their kids to school, they got left behind. They got stuck out and there was no, nothing to bridge. Maybe you, go, maybe you were intelligent, maybe you were driven and you just happened to be po- born into poverty. And Martha saw all of this wasted opportunity and she inherited some land from her family and the land and the attorneys and the rest of the family told her she should not do this and she decided that she was going to open up a school for boys that was free of charge there in rural georgia and began to teach well, it began to grow, and pretty soon people were getting there, and, and, and parents were taking a load and, and working a little harder so that their kid didn't have to help them in the field. And, and more and more of these are being able to go to this school and, and be a part of this. And she's needing dormitories. She's needing resources. She's needing buildings. And she's run out of her resources. And at this point, Henry Ford in this picture has begun to be a, a mogul and, a, and an icon of success. And and she decides that she's going to petition Henry Ford. She's going to see if she'd heard he's been benevolent and, and helped out. And she's going to plead her case and see if this guy will give her some money. And she happens to go into Henry Ford's office. And she got her appointment on a rough day for Henry Ford. And he was irritated. He was tired of being seen as a target of people constantly trying to pick his pocket. And he was just done with it. And that was the day Martha Berry had her appointment. And she sits down and she gives her spiel and he says, you know what? I'll give you everything I've got in my pocket and that's it. And he reaches in and all the cash he had in his pocket was a dime. He said, here's a dime, I'll give you that. And blew her off, is how most people would have said. But Martha saw an opportunity. She goes back to Georgia. She takes that dime and she goes to the local store and she buys seeds. She buys some flower seeds, she buys some vegetable seeds and, and, he, and begins to plant a garden and plants this garden and the next year she goes back to Henry Ford with a picture of this beautiful garden and the vegetables that were growing off of his dime. And she lays those on her desk and says, this is what your dime has done. And he was so impressed that she took him serious when he didn't take her serious. 
that she didn't get her feelings hurt when he was blowing her off. And all of a sudden, Henry Ford took notice and he begins to build buildings. And it wasn't that long ago that Ford did an, an extra endowment of $9.5 million to what's now known as Barry College. And the dream just kept going. It's because she didn't, she took the dime and didn't take it as an insult. So folks, we have to understand the opportunity we live in. And, and that's the big picture of, that's the big picture of the parable of the talents. That here's this opportunity and you can either put it to use or you can squander it. But now I want to get into what I think is some of the game changer. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And I tell you what, all of us who went and to the marriage retreat or you've been to the men's retreat or you've been to, to Great House in, on Blaylock's Ranch, Steve Blaylock and Marianne, you understand that this is a couple who took their million-dollar opportunity and built a place to refresh people. And they're all in on it. And they're sitting there and they're doing a ministry. that they and, and God provided. Provided. It's an amazing place. And you see that they've taken and received. And used whatever they've received to serve others. And we had 17 couples whose lives were bettered and changed. Because of their willingness to do that. Psalms 103.14 says. For he knows how we're formed. And he remembers we're dust. Oh, and that's so good. He remembers how you're built. He remembers that. And, and as all of this stuff, the, the dreams and the aspirations and the things that you feel, the, the DNA of Papa God growing on the inside of you, yes, it's bigger than you. It is. It is, because you need Him. It's a God-sized dream for all of us. And you've got to dare to step forward in it. But here's what I think as we look at the nuance of this is the make or break for you and I. And the first thing I want us to look at is that a healthy concept of God and his view of you makes for a fruitful life. Now let's look at the rest of this story. Let's go ahead and go into verse 16. It says, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. He doubled his money. Anybody in the investment world would say, boom, that's a score. So also the one with two bags gained two more. But the man who had received the one bag, the least, went off, dug a hole, put it in the ground, and hid his master's money. He just left it alone. Got it as far away from him and put it in a safe place so he could just get it back into his master's hands. He was just, he just didn't want it. Just leave me alone with this stuff. And then we get into verse 19. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Wanted to know how things had gone. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five and said, Master, he said, you entrusted me. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant. High five, fist bumps. Woo, you're killing it. You're awesome. You've been faithful with a few things. I don't know about you, but seven and a half million dollars in a few things. That's a pretty big deal. 
But he says, you've been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I want you to enjoy life the way I enjoy life. I want you to enjoy all that I enjoy. That was his response. It says, and the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servants. High five, fist bump. You're killing it. You're awesome. You've been faithful with a few things. Three million dollars. Um, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now let's pause right here in the story, okay? What we've seen of this story, we know, what we know of the master, he entrusted, he, did, he weighed each one, he looked at what one, he didn't put the same weight on them. He gave one five, one two, and one one, but not because he was being a jerk or playing favoritism. He looked and, 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 and didn't want to put any extra weight on anyone that wasn't ready for it. He goes off and he comes back and the first one says, you trusted me. You trusted me with this and and I've done this. And he's like, come enjoy, come enjoy my happiness. Second one did the same thing. Let's, what picture of this master do we have? Does this seem like a hard dude? Does this seem like a jerk? Do we get any bit of anything that this dude is is tough or mean or hard to deal with or somebody you should be afraid of see there's nothing so far all of us are like we like a boss like that this guy's awesome we like a boss like that we don't see anything alarming in this interaction with these two and the master But let's keep going. Because the truth is, it's just like a healthy view, a proper view of God and his attitude. See, they saw him and they when their their response was, you entrusted me. Their view of their master was that he was trusting, that he was for them, that this was an incredible opportunity. That was their view. They saw him as good and they thought he believed in them they thought he had entrusted them they didn't say you saddled me with this responsibility that if i jack this up there's no way i can fix this if i take your seven and a half million dollars and i i mess this up i can't fix it i can't fix this i can't fix the three i can't do this you've given me more than if if i i have to be perfect or i'm jacked over here Why would you do this to me? That wasn't their attitude. That wasn't their attitude at all. And you see that it freed them up to go out and to live fruitful lives. They dared to believe the master was for them. They dared to believe that because he trusted them, there must be something in them that would make a difference. There must be something in them that they could go out. The master built wealth. If he trusted me, he must believe I can too. The master's life is fruitful. He must believe mine can be fruitful too. He's not dumb. He doesn't take unnecessary risk. But a faulty concept of God and his view of you makes for a fearful life. It'll cripple you. 
It will cripple you. It will stop you. It will stifle this. And you can live a life that was a million-dollar opportunity and have nothing come of it if you get choked by this. Let's keep reading. Verse 24 says, The man who had received one bag of gold came. And this is the most discourse we get back and forth. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. What? For us, the reader, this is new information. This is coming in sideways. Like, what? You're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered. You're a thief. You'll go take somebody else's harvest. You'll go take somebody else's stuff. You just grab what you can grab. You're hard and you grab what you can grab. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And he thought he did good. Here's your 1.5 back. Oh man, I was close. Here it is back. You can have it back. You're hard, you're mean, you're a thief. You take stuff that don't belong to you. And I'm, I'm just glad I'm done with this deal. And he's thinking. He's seeing the other two guys. High fives. Dukes. You rock. He's thinking at least going, well, at least you're not an idiot. Here's my one five. That's not the response. It's not the response. It says, it says, you wicked and lazy servant. He says, it has nothing to do with your view of me. You just didn't want to do anything with this. You just didn't want to mess with it. You're lazy. You just didn't want to put in the effort. You just didn't want to put it forward. You're blaming me. You think I'm hard, you think I steal, you think I'm a difficult person. And you're blaming me. No, you're wicked and you're lazy. So you knew that a harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So then when I return, I would have it back with interest. If you really believed what you're saying you believed, you'd have done something. If you really thought I looked for increase at all costs, that I'd go rob my neighbor for increase, you'd have done something to produce some kind of increase here. Mm, I smell a rat. You just didn't want to mess with it. That's not the deal here. That's not it at all. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has, even more will be given. And will have an abundance. For whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I love the way the Good News Bible puts this. And it puts that new, that, that, that thing on, on verse 26. He says, you bad and lazy servant, you knew, did you, that I reap harvest where I did not plant. And gather crops where I did not scatter. Well then, 
you should have deposited my money in the bank and I'd have received it all back when I, <clears throat> with interest when I returned. And so now you and I, we're, we're, we're left. Master doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, I'm not hard. Master doesn't say, I don't steal anything. He challenges his servant's view. Said, if, well, if you really believe that, you'd have done something. I don't think that's the issue at all. It goes back that you were just being fearful. You had this faulty, messed up position because we either have to interview the two who said, you trusted me, you're here. And get this, or we have to interview the one guy that says, oh, he's hard. It's left up to, to us to decide who's the, how the master is. He doesn't defend himself. It's left up to you today to decide how the master is. How do you see him? See, God is good. You see him as benevolent and loving you. Can you look at Jesus and see what Paul says, that if God would give his son, how will he not freely give us all things? The greatest declaration of his love and commitment to you came in the person of Jesus. Do you, do you not get it yet that he's good? Do you not get it yet that he's for you? Who do, who do you say? Who do you say God is? Jesus put that question to Peter. They were there with a disciple and said, well, these people say you're, uh, you're a prophet and you, this one says you're this or maybe John the Baptist come back from the dead and he didn't say, I'm not a prophet or I'm not. He didn't retort any of it. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, I say, you're the Christ. I say, you're the son of the living God. He says, nobody's taught you this. God, the Father's revealed that to you. As we look at our lives, we look at moving forward with him. Who do you say he is? I hope, I hope that your time here at Celebration Church, I hope that your time with us, breaking open the scriptures and looking at that you can see the good God I see. I hope you do. I hope that when you look at the scriptures and you read it and you see that you see the bigness of the opportunity that God has given you. I see it. I hope that you recognize that he's for you and he's entrusted you and that that's what this life is about. I hope you are not sitting here saying, I just want to get through this without blowing it. Because in that faulty mindset, we're blowing it. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Who do you say he is? Who do you say? He didn't defend himself. But we see two totally different responses. Your life is rich, far richer than you know. And when you begin to look and say, oh, wow, God's entrusted me. He's entrusted me with today. He's entrusted me with my family. I look at my kids and I'm overwhelmed with the opportunity and what I'm entrusted with with those seven faces. I see my wife and I see what an amazing thing that not only has God entrusted me, but she's entrusted me back. She's entrusted me too. What am I going to do with these opportunities? And I pray because I know God is for me that 
I dare to step out. I dare to step out. See, the bottom line here is, is your view of God will determine how you respond to him. If you see him as mean and a taskmaster, looking to sneak up on you and whoop up on you, you're going to hide, you're going to run, you're definitely not going to dare to want to do anything for him because you think if you mess up, you blow it. Well, you see that he's for you. You see that ever you've been made right with God, not based on your performance, but based on what Jesus did. And you're like, I think I, think I can live for him because Jesus already lived for me. I'm living in his life, not mine. It changes everything. So this morning, this morning, take a good look at your view of God. Does your heart echo and bounce back when I say God loves you and for you? Do you cry out amen with all you've got? Do you simply go, oh, Brandon, I hope so. Brandon, I hope so. Or do you push back and go, "Mm, he's tough, he's hard. And when it's all said and done, I'm kind of scared of him. He's shown his love in Christ. He's empowered you by the Holy Spirit. Life can be very, very different in him. If we'll dare to believe, he's good and he's for you. I want to create a quiet moment right here. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you all of a sudden decide, I get this, I get it, Brandon. I've been running from God and I've been pushing back because I thought if I blew it, it was over. I thought that he was hard to live for. And I I felt this Holy Spirit pulling on me for a long time and I I just thought it would be too hard. But Brandon, I get it today. I get it. And I see that Jesus has done the hard work. He's done the heavy lifting and I can live in him if I dare to believe it. And if you believe that today and you say, I want to declare that Jesus is my Lord and I'm right with God because of what Jesus has done, I want you to lift your hand and we want to pray with you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Believers, I want to lift your voice with these because they've already stepped over from death to life. It's with, We believe in our heart. We make it our own. We place our faith in Christ and that's, it's happened. So I want to pray this prayer with you. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus that you love me, that you're for me and you showed me that by sending your Son Jesus is the message that you are for me and it's all been made right. Not because, I've what I, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did. I love you today, Lord, and I know you love me. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.